I have written in my notes at the top to say that uh, this is going to be a different kind of Easter sermon, but as I was thinking about that, I realized that I think I say that every Easter, and so uh, this is not going to be a different kind of Easter sermon for BC. This is going to be a normal kind of Easter sermon, because even though Easter is different, right, because it's, it's one Sunday a year where we specifically gather together with the purpose of celebrating Jesus' resurrection, it's also... Uh, in some ways, just like every other Sunday. We need to come together. We need to receive God's Word and learn more about who He is and what He's done for us in it. And so uh, we're going to talk about Jesus' resurrection today. We're going to look at a passage that uh, brings up that idea. Um, it's not a typical Easter passage, but uh, the purpose is for us to learn more together about what it means to us uh, not just in the distant future when we die, but what it means to us today that Jesus raised from the dead. And so, uh, if you would, as I said, open your Bibles up to John chapter 11. We're going to read a big chunk, a long story. We're going to read verses 1 through 44, and then we're going to talk about those together this morning. Again, that's John 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 44. Now, a certain man was ill... Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but he because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to him. She went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. 
When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that it is living and active, that it is uh, always relevant and always applies to our lives. We thank you that in it uh, we get to see who you are. We get to read about what you've done and, and learn more about how that applies to our lives, about how you have shaped our lives and provided for our lives through uh, your life, death, and resurrection. Jesus, we thank you that this story isn't just a story, but it's something that you've done. And that in the context of these events, you tell us more about who you are. We pray that today, as we celebrate Easter, we would learn together what it means that you are the resurrection and the life. And then that would impact us, not, not only on Easter, not only when we think about the resurrection, but every day. Because we need to know that the resurrection matters. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So what I would like to do through this passage as we kind of walk through the story and, and see Jesus telling us who he is, is for us to see and, and get the idea that the resurrection is bigger than Easter. Uh, because I don't think that we think about the resurrection as often as we should. Um, if you read through the book of Acts, you'll see that they travel around preaching uh, that Jesus is the Messiah and the resurrection of the dead. And to me, that's kind of odd because when we share the gospel most of the time with people, I think we focus much more on his death, right? He died to save us from our sins. Uh, he paid the penalty that we owed on the cross. He paid to free us from the power that sin had over us. And then maybe as like an exclamation point on the end of that, we say, and he rose from the dead three days later. But 
what the resurrection means and what it means that Jesus raised from the dead doesn't really seem to translate into our lives on a regular basis as much as it should, as much as it did for the early church, as much as it did for the people that we read about in the New Testament. And so the reason why I picked this story is because as Jesus is raising Lazarus from the dead, as he's coming to speak to Mary, he tells her more about what the resurrection means. And he kind of re-educates her on what the resurrection will be about, and I think that we will benefit from that as well. And so the main point this morning for us is that Jesus' resurrection should shape our daily lives uh, because He rose again so that we could live, like today, so that we could live the Christian life. So in this story, what we find out in, if we were to go back and read uh John chapter 10, which we're not going to do because we just read a huge chunk of Scripture already this morning, but that is that Jesus was in Jerusalem for a feast. He was celebrating the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and then while he was doing that, some of the Jews started to plot against him, and they kind of ran him out of town. And so he went with his disciples across the Jordan River to where John, earlier in the Gospel of John, had been baptizing people. And so Jesus is there with his disciples. They've kind of fleed from the Jews because it's not Jesus' time yet. And so they're there. And then while they're there, John tells us that Lazarus, who's at Bethany, a city about two miles from Jerusalem, gets sick. And Jesus was very close to this family. And so they sent word to Jesus saying, hey, this this guy, Lazarus, who you care about, who you love, he is ill. So Jesus says, the illness does not lead to death. He's telling us at the very beginning of this story, both John and Jesus, that the way the events unfold in this chapter, they're not just circumstance. They don't surprise Jesus. They don't catch him off guard. He knows what's going to happen, and all of it is happening. It's unfolding in such a way to bring glory to Jesus and to reveal more about who he is and what he's done. And so this is what happens. Jesus knows what's going to happen. And then we get these two verses side by side in 5 and 6, which to me are somewhat uh, hilarious because it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 6, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus loved them very much, so he delayed. He loved them very much, so he didn't go right away when he found out that this person that he cared about is sick. When uh, we first moved to Hannibal in 2010, me and my dad were fly fishing in southern Missouri. And while that was happening, my wife was at home in our bathroom puking her guts out because she had appendicitis. So the very next morning, me and my dad are like walking out of the cabin with our fly rods. Somebody from the lodge comes up because there's no cell phone service there and says, hey, you've got a family emergency. You need to make a phone call. So we find out that Jen has appendicitis, and I say, I love Jen very much. So let's go fish for two days. No, I don't. I come home right away uh, because you would have killed me if I did the other thing. These verses don't make sense with the way we think about the world, with the way we think about how God should love us. We think it should say Jesus loved them very much, so instantly, immediately, he went to where he was and saved him from this tragic circumstance that's about to happen. But just because God loves us doesn't mean that we won't suffer. It doesn't mean that we won't experience pain. 
doesn't mean that we won't experience loss. doesn't mean that we won't die. In fact, sometimes it means the opposite. Because He loves us, He will let us go through pain and suffering for our good and for His glory. And that's exactly what happens to Mary and Martha and Lazarus in this story. Because He loved them, He stayed where He was for two days longer. And then He goes. And then the disciples and Him talk. And we're not going to focus on this very much because it's not the main thing in the sermon. But the interchange between them is, I think, also quite hysterical because they just they just can't get what he's saying. And he answers them in very... Uh, sorry, I'm trying to think of a word other than parable-like. But he, he gives them these weird, vague answers. He's ambiguous. He doesn't just get to the point and say, we're going to go there so I can resurrect Lazarus. He beats around the bush. They get confused. And finally he says, we're going... They say, are you sure you want to go? These people just tried to kill you a few days ago. He says, yes. Lazarus says, in classic Eeyore fashion, let's go too so that we can die alongside of it. And they come. They get to Bethany. Uh, Mary or Martha hears that Jesus is coming. She goes out to meet him. And in verse 21, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. So she's saying, if you would have been here, you wouldn't have died. I know you could have healed him. And I know that even now, you can do something about this. He says, I'm going to. He's going to rise again. She says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She is expressing classic Jewish belief in the resurrection. For them, they believe, except for one small group of Sadducees, that one day everyone who was the people of God would be resurrected, would rise from the dead. And so when she says that I believe that he's going to rise again, that's what she's saying. She's kind of repeating back to him the classic Jewish belief about the resurrection. It's going to happen. I believe it. And then Jesus responds and gives her a little bit of re-education in verse 25. And I think that it's important for us to see this because I think her belief about the resurrection is pretty similar to ours. We think, yeah, one day everybody's going to rise again. That's what the resurrection is. That's what it's about. It's, it's, it's all down the road. And so we can have hope now. We can have comfort now when loved ones die because we know that one day they're going to rise again. But what Jesus says is that, yeah, that's going to happen. But it also matters right now. So look at what he says in verse 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He's telling her who he is. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He's telling her who he is and that the resurrection isn't just something that's disconnected from him, but it's something that people only experience in him. Listen to this quote from this scholar on this passage. I think we have this on a slide. It's probably way at the end, though, Alex. That's what he says. There we go. Jesus' concern is to divert Martha's focus from an abstract belief in what takes place on the last day to a personalized belief in Him who alone can provide it. 
Just as he not only gives the bread from heaven, but is himself the bread of life, so also he not only raises the dead on the last day, but is himself the resurrection and the life. There is neither resurrection nor eternal life outside of him. This is very important for us to get. There is no road to resurrection except through Christ. Right Elsewhere in the Gospel of John, if we were to go ahead a couple chapters, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is an exclusive claim for salvation. There is no resurrection outside of Christ. And so... Any other religion that promises any form of resurrection or any form of salvation that isn't centered on who Jesus is and what he's done, which would be Christianity, any other religion uh, does not lead to resurrection. It cannot promise life. Because life is found in Christ. Resurrection is found in Christ. But what does he mean when he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. With these two words, are they they're the same thing? Are they different? The word resurrection, it's what Mary or what Martha is talking about with him. It's the final resurrection at the last day. All the dead who have trusted in Christ will be raised. That's resurrection. Life here is focused on something slightly different. It's focused on eternal life or uh, new creation life. It's the life that we get when we trust in Christ. He's made us alive. And so these two words are, are the same, but they're different. They're like looking at the same concept from two different ways. You know, like if you look through a stained glass window at an object, you're going to see it differently than if you look at it through a clear window. It's the same object that you're looking at, but it's slightly different. This is what these two words are. He explains them in verses 25 and 26. And here, we're going to help get some help from the NIV, which we have another slide, because their English is a bit more modern and can help us, because the yet shall he live isn't a way we talk on a regular basis. And so he says in the first part, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. This is expressing the idea of resurrection. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Even if people die, they're going to live. Resurrection will happen. And so I personally have full and complete confidence that my mom, who just died a couple months ago, will live again. Because I believe in the resurrection. I believe that she trusted in Christ. And so that's going to happen. That's going to happen for all those who trust in Christ. But the other half is focused on him saying, I am the life. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So on the one hand, he's talking about what's going to happen after death. On the other hand, he's talking about what's going to happen before death. Everybody who lives by believing in me will never die. And so when Jesus says... I'm the resurrection and the life. He's saying that resurrection matters now. It doesn't just shape our life after we die. It shapes our life before we die. The kind of life that we live in Christ is different than we can live outside of Christ. Right? He's made us alive. 
He's made us new. He's taken out our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. He's put his spirit within us. He's written his law on our hearts. It talks about it in a whole lot of different ways. But each time it's talking about the fact that because of what Christ has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection, our lives are fundamentally different if we trust in him and place our faith in him than if we do not. It says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But then he makes us alive. And so when Jesus says that he's the resurrection, he's talking about the fact that all the dead will be raised who trust in him. When he says that he's the life, he's talking about the fact that his resurrection shapes us today because as we're united with him in his death, our sins are atoned for and paid. As we're united with him in his life, we're empowered to live the kind of life that he calls us to in his word. Listen to how Paul explains this in Romans. He says, we are buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then if we were to keep reading Romans 6, we would see a whole bunch of commands start coming about how we live. Because we're dead to sin, because we're alive to God in Christ, because of Jesus' resurrection, because we're united with him in a resurrection like his, not just in the future, but now, then we can live the Christian life. That's what Paul's telling us in Romans 6. That's what Jesus is telling us when he says that he's the resurrection and the life. What it means is that resurrection doesn't just matter on Easter. It doesn't just matter at the end of our life or when we have loved ones die. Resurrection matters every day. Like when you're trying to parent your kids, resurrection matters. Like the fact that you can love them and give them grace and mercy instead of frustration and anger is because Jesus rose again. The fact that you can love your spouse and stay faithful to them and serve them even when you don't feel like they're serving you as much as they should. You can do that because Jesus rose from the dead. You can be a good worker. You can, you know, not sideswipe that car that cuts you off on the highway because Jesus rose from the dead. Any time we walk in obedience to God's word and what it calls us to, the ability for us to do that is purchased by Jesus' resurrection. And so it's something we should think about more than just on Easter. It's something we should think about more than just when we start thinking about death. Because I think that if we don't realize what resurrection means now, we might not be in a place where we'll experience it later. 
Because it's those who walk in obedience, those who endure to the end, those who live the kind of life that he's called us to now that will experience the resurrection from the dead. He's the resurrection and the life. The rest of the story continues. Jesus asks her if she believes this. He's not asking her if she believes he'll raise Lazarus from the dead. He's asking her if she believes who he says he is. She responds, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Then Mary comes out and talks with him. They have this exchange. And then there's this, you know, this really famous section in John where Jesus sees her weeping. He sees the Jews who are with her weeping. And it says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus weeps. Jesus you know, cries. And normally when we read this, we focus on Jesus' Jesus' emotions of sadness. But if you got an ESV, look at the footnote on verse 33. Footnotes aren't just boring, they're helpful. It says, When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the Jews who had come with her weeping, he was deeply moved. And then you got a little number five. And it says at the bottom, or was indignant. Upset. Frustrated. Angry. He was deeply moved. Normally we think that he's just really sad. But the word here is focused more on not sadness. He's indignant. He's fired up. It's the same thing uh, further down uh, in verse 38. Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. He was indignant again. Why? Right, this doesn't mean, I'm not saying that Jesus sinned, right? He gets angry throughout the Gospels at times and does not sin. I think he's indignant because when he's faced with death, especially the death of someone he loves, it's not indignant at Mary for weeping or the Jews who are with her for weeping. I think his indignance is at the brokenness of the world in this situation. Someone, after my mom died, told me, like, you know, God grieves more than you do. And I was just, I heard him and thought, you know, thanks for saying that. And then later, like when I had some time to myself, I thought, really? Like, does he really? Um, and I think he does. And I think that what we see here in Jesus' indignance is the fact that he knows perfectly how the world should be. He knows what it was created to be. He knows what it will be like when there is no death, no pain, no suffering, no tears, no addictions, no sin, no anger, no anything bad. And so I think what we see here in this, this glimpse of Jesus' emotion is that he is indignant at a world which is not as it should be. And like even as he expresses this emotion, he's looking forward to the cross when all things will be set right. Right? As he goes through the rest of the story, as he says, even, you know, take away the stone, 
he knows what's coming at the end of his life. He knows that he's going to be put in a tomb. There's going to be a stone that covers where he's laid. And that he's going to come forth in victory and all this brokenness about the world is going to be done away with. Not instantly, but inevitably. Eventually. So I think that we can know that when we're experiencing pain and suffering, that this is not the way the world should be. And it bothers him more than it bothers us. He goes on, approaches the tomb. He calls Lazarus out. After praying, Lazarus, of course, comes forth. They unbind him. I think that what we see here at the end of the story of Lazarus is a great picture of the gospel. He's sealed in the tomb. He's dead. There is no life in his body. It's been four days. It's decaying. It stinks. They're afraid when he opens the stone, or when he, when he rolls away the stone, that this odor is going to come out and overpower everyone. So they tell him not to. He's trapped in darkness. And Jesus lets him out. He removes that which is keeping him trapped. And when he speaks, Lazarus' body comes back to life. He makes him alive. What was decayed gets remade. His lifeless heart starts beating again. He comes out. He's still wrapped up, right? He's wrapped up in these grave clothes. Lazarus is alive, but he's still stuck in death. He's still wrapped up in it. Jesus tells the people that are there to unwrap him, to take the clothes off. I think that, to us, represents how we're kind of progressively being freed from sin. Right? We've been made alive. We're not stuck in death anymore. But slowly, progressively, eventually, we will be free. Death won't have a hold on us anymore. Just like he gave Lazarus life, he's given us life. Not just physical life, but spiritual life. New creation life. He's made us new. That only happens because he rose again. That provides us with the freedom to walk in obedience to who he is and what he's done for us. So we know, at least we should know, and remember often that Jesus is the life. We have life because of who He is. We know that He's the resurrection too, and one day we're going to experience that. But we're still waiting for it in its fullness. So, I would just encourage you this week to not forget about the resurrection because Easter's over. I mean, I feel like I say this every Easter. And by the time Easter comes around next year, I'm like, man, we did it again. I quit thinking about it. So, it's like we talked about a few weeks ago about encouraging one another. Let's encourage one another in this. 
Let's speak the gospel to each other, not just about the fact that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin and his death, but talk about what it means that he's rose from the dead on a daily basis. Let's encourage one another in this way. As we take the Lord's Supper this morning, there's just a couple things that I want to say about that. And the first is that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper at BC, it's not something that's for everybody. Right? This is an exclusive table. It's for those who have trusted in Christ by faith. The reason why is because it represents that his body was broken and his blood was shed for us and for our sins. And so if you haven't trusted in Christ, that's not for you. And I know that that's not PC, that's not uh, welcoming, but if you haven't done this, then why do you want to eat a tiny cup of juice or drink a tiny cup of juice and eat a tiny cracker? That only matters because we've trusted in Christ and we understand what it means. Also, with that, if you haven't trusted in Christ, he's not the resurrection and the life for you. Because his salvation is exclusive, if you haven't trusted in him, he is death to you. Because he's not just the one who brings salvation, he's also the one that brings judgment. And as surely as the resurrection is coming, so is that. And so if you have not trusted in him, I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to know him as the resurrection and the life. Know him as the way, the truth, and the life. Know him as your savior. Because if you haven't done that, no matter how much you think I'm wrong or foolish for saying so, you will regret it. On top of that, for everybody who has trusted in Christ, Paul says that the Lord's Supper represents uh, us proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And not just his death, but his resurrection. Right? If he is not raised, then that is not a celebration. That's damning. But because he's raised, we are free from our sins. We have been made alive. We have been raised up with him. And so as you celebrate the Lord's Supper today, take some time, consider your hearts before the Lord, think more and pray more and ask the Spirit to apply to you what it means that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And then when you take the Lord's Supper today, don't make it just about his death. Make it about the fact that he is alive. And You're in a relationship with him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that just like you made Lazarus alive physically, you have made us alive spiritually. Your death has freed us from sin, both the penalty and its power. And your life has made us new. We pray today that as we continue to celebrate your victory, your triumph over sin, death, and Satan, that we would keep remembering that you are alive.
and that we are free. Pray you would just use your spirit to convict, challenge, and, and move us beyond ourselves.